From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, August 22nd, 2022. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, South Africa's president and other officials have hosted a welcome party in Pretoria for Chinese President Xi Jinping. A former Thai prime minister's returned from exile to serve eight years in prison. The U.S. president surveyed the fire damage in Hawaii on the island of Maui. In business, China's digital services are competing on the global stage. In sports, an American sprinter surprises at the World Championships. In culture and entertainment, a preview of the upcoming Chungchun Film Festival. Now checking the day's top stories. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has hosted a welcome ceremony for Chinese President Xi Jinping in Pretoria. President Xi is in South Africa for a state visit and to attend the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Ahead of his arrival, the Chinese president published a signed article calling for efforts to deepen friendship and cooperation between the two countries. He also stressed BRICS' role as a key cooperation platform for emerging economies. China and South Africa are marking 25 years of diplomatic ties this year. Editors and journalists spoke highly of President Xi's signed article in South African media. Zhao Yunfei reports. Chinese President Xi Jinping's signed article is printed on the front page of a newspaper in Johannesburg. The title, Sailing the Giant Ship of China-South Africa Friendship. In the article, President Xi expresses anticipation for his visit to South Africa, referring to it as a promising land. He celebrated the brotherly sentiments between China and South Africa, saying the two countries have provided each other with strong support on matters of core interest and major concerns. The star editor, Sifiso Mashlangu, says this message from the Chinese president extends friendship. Well, it's a letter to South Africa, um, a writing a letter on collaboration. It's a letter <clears throat> concerning uh, the People's Republic of China's relationship with the Republic of South Africa. Many journalists in Johannesburg covering the BRICS summit say China is playing an important role in the development of Africa. African countries are going to seize this opportunity to uh, grow their economies. We know um, China has been expanding equally across the African continent. It's inevitable. It's something that we are all seeing. We want to see BRICS helping developing countries, especially in Africa, because Africa has the largest number of developing countries. So we want to see BRICS coming in strong to help Africa develop. In Johannesburg and Senten, Chinese flags can be seen hanging along the streets, a gesture of South Africa extending a warm welcome to the Chinese leader. As President Xi wrote in his article, this symbolizes the continuation of a long-standing friendship between China and Africa. That was Zhao Yunfei in Johannesburg.
Well, South Africa is working to improve its energy infrastructure, especially that involving renewable resources. China and African countries also enjoy a complementary relationship in regards to the production of battery energy storage uh, systems. CGT and host Tian Wei sat down with Busi Mabuza of South Africa's Industrial Development Corporation on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. The chairperson explains how cooperation between China, Africa and other BRICS members can accelerate energy transformation. Let's talk about some of these sectors specifically. Um, the renewable energy. I understand China and South Africa, for example, just among uh, many business partners here in the African continent, has signed uh, contracts and have been working together on that front very vigorously. So we, South Africa actually opened up um, the renewable energy opportunity mm. through what was called the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Program in 2013, mm. so 10 years ago. Yeah. And we saw a lot of interest from um, all over globally. And those power plants are now up and running. Mm. However, the, some of the older technology, of course, didn't have the storage capacity, which is absolutely necessary. So the memoranda that have been signed are actually intended to help South Africa in addressing, in the immediate term, the energy supply issues, mm -hmm. but also to, to tr transition to um, the cleaner energies, yes. which the world is demanding of all of us to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm pleased that we can do that in partnership with grid um, counterparts, especially China. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a mutually beneficial certainly without uh, relationship without a doubt because some of the raw materials that we explore actually go into these uh, battery storage uh, components and we look forward to the companies coming into the country and producing some of those components assembling the batteries here in the country because that will be mutually uh, beneficial mm. that is also about the african interests without a doubt because they too have minerals such as lithium, which we get up further north yes. from our shores. Cobalt um, is also up north. And these are minerals that I believe are used in the technology for the battery Absolutely. storage. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why the interest also from our African counterparts to come and engage with uh, the Brit nations. That was Busi Mabuza on South, uh, of South Africa's Industrial Development Corporation on opportunities arising from China and Africa's partnerships on energy storage. This year's BRICS Summit in Johannesburg is the first in-person gathering since COVID-19. The group's expansion, de-dollarization of trade, and moving toward a multipolar world are among topics of discussion. Julie Shire has more. It's been months of preparations, engagements and talks. Now the summit is finally here. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will be hosting around 30 world leaders at the 15th gathering of BRICS heads of state in Johannesburg. We've invited quite a number of countries, quite a number of African um, countries will be represented at the highest levels. Um, also from, you know, the rest of the world. Uh, there are some guests that are coming from Asia, um, Southeast Asia and a few other regions. The world will be watching closely as leaders of the emerging market group debate issues of global security, trade and international cooperation. Decisions are expected to be taken on decoupling global trade from the dollar and expansion as countries queue to join the bloc. BRICS is a good initiative that Africa finds to be a very uh, friendly uh, business environment that creates an opportunity. We have to make sure that we all speak decisively around how we grow the global economy, that we all speak decisively around how that growth is inclusive of all the marginalized people and the poorest of the poor that are always um, left behind in these sorts of conversations and then the processes that we put in place. This year's gathering is being billed as the most significant BRICS summit since the inclusion of South Africa 13 years ago. It could reshape the BRICS grouping and change the course of history as countries seek an alternative to the global north. That was Julie Shire reporting.
Over 40 nations have expressed interest in joining BRICS, and today we hear from Egypt's perspective about what is the driving force behind the eagerness to become a member of the group. Haba Abdelbeki reports from Cairo. Since its inception in 2009, BRICS has never witnessed such a surge in countries expressing their interest to join. The overwhelming response is supported by current BRICS members, especially China, which has expressed its support for discussing expansion standards and procedures at the 14th BRICS summit. The driving force behind this eagerness to join the BRICS cooperation mechanism remains a question. Economist and risk analyst Dr. Ali Mitwali has an answer. Joining BRICS opens up access to a large and growing market, fostering economic cooperation and trade opportunities. And the collective economic strength enhances the bargaining power of its member states, and not only international trade, but also financial negotiations, providing them with greater uh, leverage in global economic affairs. Joining BRICS also offers countries the opportunity to diversify their trade and investment partners. Another major attraction for countries seeking to join BRICS is the geopolitical influence that membership offers. This is because BRICS advocates for a more multipolar world challenges the Western-dominated international order. Six years ago, the BRICS New Development Bank was established to finance infrastructure and sustainable development projects in member countries, emerging economies, and developing countries. Egypt, which is facing significant economic challenges, has joined the bank and is seeking to become a member of BRICS. Dr. Ali Mitwali is talking again. Egypt can benefit from access to funding from the BRICS-established New Development Bank. The bank finances infrastructure projects, uh, sustainable development initiatives in member states and other developing countries. For instance, since its founding, the bank has approved more than 90 projects, more than $32 billion in support of areas such as transportation, clean energy, urban construction. So by leveraging funding of the NDB, Egypt can modernize its infrastructure and also bolster uh, its economic uh, development and growth. The growing use of local currencies for trade has become a strong motivation for countries suffering economic crises. This trend is expected to support the movement towards replacing the U.S. dollar in global trade, with the BRICS nations at the forefront of exploring the possibility of introducing a common currency that would provide fairer treatments in international trade. For the Beijing Hour, this is Hiba Abdelbaqi in Cairo, Egypt. Coming up, a former Thai prime minister will serve an eight-year prison term. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 11 minutes past the hour. Thailand's Supreme Court says former Prime Minister Thaksin Shinawat will serve eight years in prison. Thaksin returned to Bangkok from a self-imposed 15-year exile. His return comes as the Pew Thai Party, founded by the Shinawat family, uh, announced an 11-party alliance to form a new government. The coalition affirmed it'll nominate business tycoon uh, Sretha Thavisin for Prime Minister. Pew Thai says the political parties in the alliance will support the policies they proposed during the election campaign. Campaign. Japan's decided to start releasing nuclear wastewater from the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean on Thursday. This is despite strong objections from home and abroad. The owner of a fast food joint in Fukushima says she feels hopeless about the revival of her hometown amid the country's decision to pour the nuclear contaminated wastewater into the sea. 51-year-old Atsuko Yamamoto has uh, yearned to bring back the old eatery to the area since her family fled the town due to the earthquake as its uh, tasty burgers were popular among the local young people. But now she feels it's uh, much more difficult than she expected to carry out her ambition. It's quite difficult to convince former Fataba residents to come back here. Before last year, none of us could have lived here. We have a long way to go before revival. We lack a lot of infrastructure, such as shops, making it difficult for us to even have a normal life. So I think that revival here is going to be really tough. 
Authorities in Futaba started to allow residents to return in August of last year. Uh, meantime, activists, including former Fukushima University President Kono Toshio, have been blasting the government of Prime Minister Fumio Kishida over the water release. Prime Minister Kishida, who claims to be a good listener, arrived at Fukushima. Unfortunately, he didn't listen to the fishermen's voices. He just listened to the opinion of Tokyo Electric Power Company. In that sense, we should speak out even more loudly against the sea discharge. Local fishing groups fear reputational damage and a threat to their livelihood. Neighboring countries, including China and South Korea, have also questioned the safety of the plan. Anti-corruption campaigner Bernardo Aravallo has won the presidential election in Guatemala. The president-elect says it heralds a new era in the Central American country. What you are hearing, what we are seeing, the reports of fireworks, rockets, of people in the streets with flags. This happens when my football team wins in Guatemala, but not in an election. And this is a demonstration of the mood change we are witnessing in Guatemala. Guatemalans today have hope. But apart from issues such as graft and the economy, Ravallo is also facing legal challenges before he takes office in January. Jorge Rodriguez reports from Guatemala City. Social Democratic candidate Bernardo Arevalo from the Semilla Party has been fighting against corruption and aiming to restore the population's confidence in state institutions. Sunday's runoff vote showed 58% of the voters chose Bernardo Arevalo and running mate Karin Herrera, while 37% voted for National Unity of Hope Party candidate Sandra Torres and Romeo Guerra. The vote will still need certification for the official results but remains to be seen if Arevalo will be able to assume the presidency after party's legal status was being investigated over allegations of falsifying signatures necessary to register for the vote. For now, social media is flooded with expressions of joy and hope from people who want to start a new course to fight against corruption and the lack of opportunities. And that was Jorge Rodriguez reporting on Bernardo Arevalo's election win in Guatemala. Well, some residents in Guatemala are welcoming the preliminary results of the country's election. Uh, some locals in Guatemala City express their expectations for that new government. As a Guatemalan, I've always had the opinion that whoever stays, stays. It should be for all of us, because at the end of the day, we have had governments that have left us at the start, both as mayors, local or capital. We hope that this Mr. Aravalo will do things differently for the benefit of education, health and work. I hope we made the right choice because both candidates were quite suitable, I think. And we hope we made the right choice because you never know what they're going to be like. And so I feel happy. I feel content. Supporters celebrated Aravalo's election win in downtown Guatemala City, waving national flags. Damage to infrastructure at Ukrainian ports has reduced the amount of grain that can be exported. Ukraine has just harvested a large quantity of barley, wheat and corn, but there are problems with transporting food out after Russia withdrew from the Black Sea grain deal. Yolo Abdafid has more from Odessa. After the collapse of the Black Sea grain initiative last month, there's uncertainty and concern. Ships heading to African and Asian ports travel through the Bosphorus Strait in Istanbul, across the Black Sea. Delays mean vessels wait to be inspected and checked. Now, ships heading to Ukraine aren't protected, even in international waters. We realized it from the very beginning because when uh, this Green Initiative was signed on 22nd of uh, July last year, on 23rd, we have the uh, shoot and uh, the heat of rockets in the Odessa port. In the next day, they show that they did not respect international agreements, uh, nothing. Ukraine is a global grain grower, and its Ministry of Agriculture says this year's harvest is larger than in 2020. But with ports bombed and grain silos destroyed, tens of thousands of tons of grains aren't reaching their intended markets. Especially as officials complain Russia is interfering with Black Sea shipments. That doesn't stop companies trying to increase business where they can and remaining optimistic about exporting food and other goods. I hope our uh, security service of Ukraine, our Navy will have some 
uh, gifts for them, for the infrastructure, if they will continue to destroy our ports because they have the same ports in Black Sea. Ukraine usually exports 60 million tons of grain annually. This year, the drop in exports hits traders, but also the farmers' incomes. The port of Mykolaiv was bombed last year and is now waiting to reopen some time. If a new grain agreement is reached, then barges and ships will once more transport grain down through the Black Sea. Before the conflict, 95% of Ukraine's exports were shipped out of its 18 seaports. Trade has been limited to just three ports during the grain agreement. Now even that has become precarious, which is why roads and railways are being used. Those who export the grain, yes, they will uh, uh, have less profit than before because uh, this new logistic is more expensive as uh, by using railway transportation, as cars, as, uh, don't know, ships. So that's, uh, th these people, this, uh, high, this part of economy will lose. Thousands have lost their jobs and homes. Others try and make the best of it as several of Odessa's beaches have been reopened. People come to forget the horrors of the last 18 months. And that was Yolo Abdefid reporting. Miami is one of the most attractive but expensive cities in the United States. The effects of climate change and traffic congestion are driving away more and more residents than it draws in. Anitza Soledad Perez has more. Miami's population is shrinking. Quite a shock to many, considering how trendy the city has become. Its fame now comes with a hefty price tag. Prices in Miami are going way high. Alexis Morales is one of those former residents that left the city. He moved about an hour north to Pompano Beach. While I was looking, there were all over $3,000 just for one bedroom and one bath. He found a one-bedroom apartment in a condo with a fantastic view and access to the canal for $1,900 a month. People who came here after the COVID-19 pandemic have been outnumbered by those who said goodbye to Miami. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, Miami-Dade County had a net decrease of 30,000 people from 2020 to 2022. Many of them stayed in Florida. They just moved up to northern counties. Affluent transplants created an inflation boom. After 14 years as Miami residents, Idealis Chaparro and her partner also moved north. They went to Lakeland, four hours away from Miami. First of all, because of the traffic, it was too much. Um, commuting, I, it was supposed to be 45 minutes, and I spent two hours in traffic. Rent also played a significant factor for them. A lot less, like for, let's say, three bedroom is the same amount for uh, be one bedroom in Miami. This was Miami's first population loss over a multi-year period since 1970, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. It is concerning um, short term, and it definitely doesn't make the situation easier for local small businesses that are looking to grow their business, hire more people, keep great um, employees that they have. Market watchers hope this is just a one-off occurrence, not a pattern. If it becomes a trend, it could devolve into less federal funding for Miami and its local government. Resources for programs are based on population. At some point, it's going to have to give. You know, prices cannot keep going up, 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 because just you're, gonna, you're not going to have an empty city. But uh, you'll notice that, you know, probably service people are not going to be able to, to work. They're not going to be able to afford it. So... You know, what, are the, what, what is going to happen with that with a part of the, uh, of the workforce? Businesses are already struggling to find them. And that was Nitsa Soledad Perez in Miami. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the U.S. president surveyed the fire damage in Maui. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. 
It's 23 minutes past the hour. U.S. President Joe Biden surveyed the devastation on Maui after wildfires uh, swept across the island. At least 114 people have died, but very few of them have been identified. Local authorities continue to search for missing people. Dan Williams has more. U.S. President Joe Biden and the First Lady, they came here and they surveyed Bagambai, riding around in Marine One, doing a couple of laps around the burnt zone. Kind of gives a perhaps a sense of scale of this devastation. Uh, He described the impact here as overwhelming. So far, we know that 114 people have died. That, though, number hasn't been uh, updated uh, for a couple of days. And, of course, we know that there are some 850, uh, even the governor, Josh Green, saying that uh, more than 1,000 people are still unaccounted for. Now, all of that is taking place, of course. That search that is continuing is about 85% done. Uh, The last 15%, we're told, could take a couple of weeks. It includes searching some of the larger buildings. But that search, as that takes place, there's also more than a thousand government uh, agency personnel also on the ground helping in terms of uh, clearing away structures, uh, making this area safe, restoring electricity, restoring water uh, and the like. That work will, of course, continue. The rebuilding work, well, that will take some time. And that was Dan Williams in in Maui. Southern California is entering the recovery phase after Tropical Storm Hillary. Ariel Cohen at the National Weather Service says Hillary no longer meets the thresholds of a a tropical cyclone and they've canceled tropical storm warnings for the region. There is still going to be some water on roadways. There's still going to be the remnant debris flows and rock slides and mudslides that we need to be careful of. But we are past the brunt of the impacts at this point. We are past the time period where we were getting prepared for, but we still need to be cautious. We're going to continue to have some light rain showers affect our area, but we're not looking for any new areas of flooding, just a recession of the waters where they had already built up. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass says they've received no reports of uh, fatalities from Hillary, but she calls on locals to remain vigilant as damage can sometimes occur in the hours and even days after a storm hits. The city family will continue working around the clock to respond and we will need your help. City uh, workers are working virtually today, obviously, except for uh, first responders, but tomorrow there should be no reason for everyone to be back to work in person. Officials say all city departments will continue to assess the impacts of the storm and they're urging residents to be cautious and alert for uh, the hazards. Hillary is the first tropical storm to hit Southern California in 84 years, bringing high winds and heavy rains that triggered flash floods and mudslides. It killed at least one person in Mexico before it moved into the United States. France has issued the highest alert for its southern regions amid a spell of excessively hot weather. Temperatures are expected to rise to 42 degrees Celsius. The red alert will allow local authorities to call off sporting and cultural events in closed public facilities. It's the first time this year that the government has triggered the top-level warning. In Paris, on the fringes of the worst affected areas, tourists say they're getting by in the heat. It's nice. It's very breezy. It's Yeah, it's hot, but the breeze is making it bearable. Yeah. We came from Nice, and Nice was very, very hot, so it's a little bit better here. Mm-hmm. So. Adding to the problem, power company EDF says it's extended the outage in southwestern France because the water that's used to cool the reactor has become too hot. The head of the Russian space agency says he hopes to continue the agency's lunar program, even though its latest mission ended with the spacecraft crashing into the moon. The Luna 25 module crashed into the moon after it went on an unplanned orbit. Roscosmos chief Yuri Borisov says they've gained priceless experience of flying to the moon through the mission. He also says the mission's of great value for developing natural resources on the moon, which he says will become an ideal platform for exploring deep space. This is not just about the prestige of the country and the achievement of some geopolitical goals. This is about ensuring defense capability and achieving technological sovereignty. Each mission of such kind gives a tremendous impetus to the development of science and technology. And this is the absolute value of these experiments. The Luna 25 spacecraft was aiming to be the first one to land on the south pole of the moon, an area where scientists say there could be important reserves of frozen water and precious elements. 
U.S. Corp in Washington, D.C. has ruled that a work of art created by artificial intelligence without any human input cannot be copyrighted under the country's law. The courts affirmed the Copyright Office's rejection of an application filed by computer scientist Stephen Thaler saying only works with human authors can receive copyrights. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 20 degrees overnight. Tomorrow we'll see a slight rain and a high of 31. Chongqing's dipping to 27 this evening, then some rainfall in 35. Last is down to 11. Moderate rainfall in 23 tomorrow. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening. It'll get, uh, rather, it'll see showers in uh, 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 tonight, slight rain in 30 on Wednesday. Islamabad's getting clouds in 27 this evening, then a slight rain in 35. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then a slight rain in 34 on Wednesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, South Africa's president and other officials have hosted a welcome party in Pretoria for Chinese President Xi Jinping. A former Thai prime minister has returned from exile to uh, serve an eight-year uh, prison term. And the U.S. president surveyed the fire damage in Hawaii on the island of Maui. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, still to come. In business, China's digital services are competing on the global stage. In sports, an American sprinter surprises at the World Championships. In culture and entertainment, a preview of the upcoming Chungchun Film Festival. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, here's today's headlines with Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has attended a welcome ceremony hosted by his South African counterpart Cyril Ramaphosa. President Xi arrived in Pretoria for a state visit on Monday. He's also attending the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Japan says it has decided to start releasing nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean on Thursday. There have been strong objections from home and abroad, despite a report by the International Atomic Energy Agency which says Japan's discharge plan is consistent with international standards. China says it hopes Japan will maintain communication with its neighboring countries and properly handle the wastewater. A foreign ministry spokesperson says Chinese authorities Will protect food safety and the health of the Chinese people. The U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency says 8,000 families in Maui have applied for assistance after the wildfires. A FEMA official says they have provided over 8.5 million U.S. dollars to residents at, on the Hawaiian island. Administrator Dean Criswell says the fund may soon run out, but they will pr- prioritize support for Maui. As we approach that negative balance, what we will end up doing is we will start to push uh, push some of our recovery projects um, across the country into the next fiscal year to ensure that we have enough funding to continue to support uh, the immediate response needs for this event and anything else that might come up um, over the next several weeks before the end of the fiscal year. 
U.S. President Joe Biden has named a FEMA regional administrator as the chief federal response coordinator for the wildfires on the Hawaiian island. Bob Fenton was appointed after Biden arrived in Maui, where she will console the survivors and consult with local authorities. Criswell says Fenton will ensure that every federal asset is available to help with the recovery. Bob is one of our most experienced、uh, emergency managers, and he's got great experience in making sure that we can bring the entire federal family together to support、um, solutions to problems, like, like he did with monkeypox and Operations Allies Welcome. And that's what he's going to be able to do here: is provide that level of oversight and coordination to make sure all of the federal departments and agencies、um, are bringing all the resources that they can to help this community rebuild and recover. The wildfires that swept through Maui has killed over 110 people and destroyed thousands of buildings, with an estimated cost of several billion U.S. dollars. Cambodia's National Assembly has confirmed Hun Manet as the new prime minister for a five-year term. Hun's ruling Cambodian People's Party won a landslide victory in the July 23 general election. The National Assembly also approved the new cabinet. China has congratulated Cambodia on its new government. The foreign ministry says China will support Cambodia's development and will remain committed to jointly building a high-quality China-Cambodia community with a shared future in the new. Era. A judge in Britain had sentenced Nurse Lucy Letby of to life in prison over the murder of seven babies and the attempt to kill six others. Letby killed the infants from 2015 at the neonatal unit of the hospital where she worked. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak voiced his support for defendants to appear in court during their sentencing hearings. I think it's cowardly that people who commit such horrendous crimes、uh, do not face their victims and hear firsthand the impact that their crimes have had on them and their families and loved ones. Now we are looking、uh, and have been at changing the law to make sure that that happens, and that's something that we'll bring forward in due course. The UK government has faced pressure over how Letby was able to escape detention for so long. It has ordered an inquiry into the case amid accusations from senior doctors that their concerns about Letby were not heeded by hospital bosses. There are growing concerns in Niger of the consequences that sanctions will have on the country's health system. Among the most concerning issue is the ability to keep vaccine doses in Niger cold, as many health centers in the country will still rely on electricity to do so. Niger relies on its neighbors for most of its power, but the neighbors cut off the electricity supply due to the sanctions imposed by the Economic Community of West African States amid a military coup. Malabra Hararo at the National Vaccine Center in Niamey warns of the serious consequences of the power cuts. If power cuts continue, that means we will run out of gasoline. That these coal chambers will no longer get electricity, and all those vaccines which are worth billions of francs might get lost. That is our main problem. The UN Children's Fund in Niger had spent 200,000 US dollars empowering generators to keep vaccines across the country cold during the first three weeks in August. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu reporting.、Uh, coming up, China's digital services are competing on the global stage. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour now.、Uh, in business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Tuesday. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained around one percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was up over nine tenths of a percent. Ministry of Commerce says China's digital services are getting more competitive on the global stage. The ministry said that in recent years, accelerated innovation in big data, cloud computing, and the Internet of Things, as well as artificial intelligence, has sped up the digital transformation of the services trade. Wang Dongtang is the or at the community. Rather, at the Commerce Ministry, says China's digital services industry has grown rapidly in recent years. WTO World Trade Organization has a prediction. 
The WTO predicts digital technologies will boost global trade growth by 1.8 to 2 percentage points annually by 2030. In 2022, China's imports and exports of digitally deliverable services reached 2.5 trillion yuan, up 7.8 percent, and ranking fifth globally, hitting a new record high. Notably, China's export of digital services grew 12.2 percent to 1.4 trillion yuan, far outpacing the. 2.6% import growth rate and demonstrating the country's increasing competitiveness in digital trade services. In the first half of this year, China's digital service trade continued rapid growth of 12.3%. Looking ahead, the Ministry of Commerce plans to optimize China's digital trade environment by introducing supportive policies. Official data shows that China's general public budget revenue increased over 11% to around 14 trillion yuan, or roughly 2 trillion U.S. dollars, in the first seven months of this year. The central government collected over 6 trillion yuan in revenue, up 11.2%, while local governments saw revenues increase 11.8% to over 7 trillion yuan. Tax revenue totaled around 12 trillion yuan in the first seven months, up 14.5% from a year ago. The country's general public budget. Spending expanded 3.3 percent, reaching 15 trillion yuan. Uganda is estimated to be home to around 11 percent of the world's bird population, but even at these levels, the country lags behind Kenya, Tunisia, and South Africa in terms of the number of bird-watching tourists who go there. Gorilla Safari has been one of the East African country's best-selling packages, but promoters there now argue that Uganda really needs to diversify its offerings. Isabel Nakiria reports. The search for endemic birds is making Uganda an attractive destination. Uganda has over 1,000 species of birds, making up 50% of birds on the continent. And species like the fox weaver are only found in Uganda. And the shoebill is found in only 10 African countries, including Uganda. Promoters of birding say the activity has huge potential to grow tourism numbers. For birders, it's a quest. They're on a quest for new birds, which we call lifers. So when uh, a bird-watching um, enthusiast adds a bird on their list, they're very excited. Uganda has about 12 bird-watching sites and, and over 20 national parks and reserves spread across the country. Each habitat is said to have a favorable climate for the different species of birds, making Uganda a bird paradise. Uganda receives more than 10 million migratory birds from wintry Europe annually, and it's an exciting adventure for tourists. Hearing the different sounds of birds, and seeing a few birds that I recognise from England, so the white birds, little egrets, if we can, we'd like to see more, and we're going to carry on walking around now to see what we can, what we can see, what we can hear. And、um, see if we can recognize some of them. Bird enthusiasts say birding has the potential to grow Uganda's tourism earnings if well promoted, and if their habitats are well protected. Uganda is losing two percent of the wetlands to agriculture and construction annually, which is a threat to bird habitats. It's estimated that a birder spends close to 20 days on excursions. Much longer than any other tour package, like gorilla trekking. We have very limited published literature. In,、uh, for example, if you decided to look for birds of Uganda, you will find birds of East Africa, which lumps us with、uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, and、um, you don't find that specific content that is saying birds of Uganda. Tourism contributes about 1.6 billion dollars annually to Uganda's economy. The government says it's taking measures to market the country as a tourist destination globally. Promoters of birding say the product could be a perfect leap to Uganda's tourism revenues if more conservation efforts are put in. That was Isabel Nakiria reporting from Uganda. Nigeria has seen a 40% spike in domestic spending on medical tourism, with nearly 1 million U.S. dollars spent in the first quarter of the year. Dr. Abdu Daniel said that a lack of medical personnel and the poor medical equipment at many hospitals have forced many to seek medical care abroad. 
We've been having this train of doctors moving abroad to um, practice overseas. So, and as such, they are kind of like um, vacuums in our healthcare sectors. Our hospitals are not well equipped. Um, we need um, more funds in the hospital, in the healthcare sector. And this is why one of the reasons you realize that um, some patients with chronic ailments have to travel to other countries just to make sure that they get their proper diagnosis and treatment done. Well, Nigeria plans to raise its annual budgetary allocation to the health sector by 10% starting next year. Egypt's informal economy accounts for around 40% of the country's economic output. Adel al Maruki has more from Cairo. Dunya Ashur is only getting 13 US dollars for this six hour long artistic paint job. She draws on scratched or bumped vehicles, refrigerators, and even walls to hide their flaws with her talent. It would usually cost her clients hundreds of dollars in regular restoration work. My father died when I was young. I needed to at least cover some of my expenses. If I earn extra money, I help out my mother. At the same time, what I do is a hobby that I like. Donia has been working as a painter since she turned 16 years old. Had it not been for the growth of the informal market, she would not have been successful in her venture. At least 55% of Egypt's workforce are employed in informal industries, a parallel economy that is estimated to amass some 127 billion US dollars for the North African state's economy. That's 40% of the country's gross domestic product, which is valued at 318 billion. Informal labor is widespread because it helps employers evade health and social insurance, as well as taxes. These are factors that lead to more profits for those working in the sector. That affects Egypt's gross domestic product, tax revenues, and burdens the nation with providing services for these workers since they don't have help in financing it. About 2 million entities operate in the parallel market. That's 53% of all registered businesses. Analysts say tens of billions of dollars in tax revenues, social security and health insurance get lost every year. Inclusion of this massive lot may drop the budget deficit by 85%, which shrinks it to about 5.2% of the GDP, flipping Egypt's economic annual readings head to toe. The authorities here and their consecutive government stopped expanding in industries and agriculture. That led to an increase in imports. With reduced production there, exports also decline and therefore the economy deteriorates. The budget deficit grows and the local currency gets devalued regularly. The only way to include the informal market is by creating public labor-intensive industries. Agriculture hires 45% of Egypt's informal workforce and the industrial production's share constitutes about 25%. Overall, North Africa has some of the world's highest informal workforce rates, varying from 40 to 77%. That was uh, Abdel Al-Maruki reporting from Cairo. The National Bureau of Statistics says the new growth driver index increased by 28% in 2022 from a year ago to hit over 760. With 2014 as the base year and 100 points as the base value, the index measures the vitality of new industries and business forms, covering areas such as the internet economy, innovation capability, and industrial upgrading. The sub-indices for the internet economy surged around 40%, contributing a whopping 91% to growth on the index. The NBS also says in recent years, China stepped up efforts to upgrade internet infrastructure and deepen the integration of the digital and real economies. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, an American sprinter surprises at the World Championships. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 
47 past the hour. And turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with athletics and American Shikari Richardson outshone several renowned sprinters to clinch the top spot in the women's 100-meter race at the World Championships. The 23-year-old, beginning inconspicuously from the ninth lane, surged impressively, clocking a new tournament record of 10.65 seconds. She beat Jamaican veterans Shelley Ann Fraser-Price and Sharika Jackson to top the podium. I would definitely say it's a good start from the beginning of my journey, as me and my coach has discussed. I'm honored, I'm blessed, had great competition, pulled out the best uh, in myself, and just honored to leave with the, with the gold medal. In the men's triple jump, Huguez Fabrice Zango secured Burkina Faso's inaugural World Championships gold. Additionally, Grant Holloway clinched his third consecutive world title in the men's 110 meters hurdles with a season best time of 12.96 seconds. The 2023 BWF Badminton World Championships have begun successfully in the Royal Arena in Copenhagen, Denmark. The home crowd was treated to some good wins from their favourites, including reigning world champion Victor Axelsson, who defeated Ireland's Nahat Nguyen 21-6-21-11. Shi Yuchi has advanced to the second round of men's singles. He defeated Spain's Luis Enrique Penalva 23-21-21-8. Because it was my first time playing against him, I wasn't familiar with his style. He played aggressively from the outset, and it benefited him. But as the match progressed, I adapted and my performance improved. China's world number one mixed doubles pair Zhang Xiwei and Huang Yaqiong will be in action against Germany along with several other Team China teams and athletes. In football news, Arsenal secured a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace in the English Premier League. The Gunners made it two wins from two at the start of the new Premier League season at Selhurst Park as Odegaard's 53rd minute spot kick proved the difference despite referee David Kuth's decision to red card Takahiro Tomiyasu for two quick bookable offences. Arsenal are now level on points with Brighton and Manchester City at the Premier League summit. Manchester United have announced that Mason Greenwood will be leaving the club. The, new f- the news follows an internal investigation into the allegations against him of attempted rape, controlling and coercive behaviour and assault. Manchester United suspended the 21-year-old from training and matches while the club completed their investigation after the Crown Prosecution Service discontinued its case against Greenwood. Greenwood, who came through Manchester United's academy and has won England cap, last played for the club in January 2022. Manchester City have reportedly agreed a deal with Ren for winger Jeremy Doku. City have reached an agreement worth €65 million Euros for the Belgium forward, who is now set to travel to Manchester to undergo a medical. The 21-year-old will arrive at the Etihad Stadium as a replacement for Riyad Mahrez, who moved to Al Ahli earlier this summer. Doku, who will be the club's third summer signing after Mateo Kovacic and Josko Gvardiol, has scored 12 goals in 91 games for Rennes since arriving from Anderlecht in 2020. He has been capped 14 times by Belgium, scoring twice and was part of the squad for the 2022 World Cup. A major esports event took place in Shanghai ahead of the Hangzhou Asian Games, where esport medals will not only be awarded, but also count towards the final medal tally for the first time. Chen Yilin went to the competition. After a six-hour battle, a new champion emerged during the 2023 Peace Elite League Summer Finals. Adding to the excitement of night, the national team of the Asian Games made a video appearance. The athletes are now training in Hangzhou for the upcoming Asian Games in September. It will be their first time to compete for the national glory as peaceful medals are up for grabs. And fans also have high hopes for these athletes. I hope they can unite as one and fight for the best. I really hope they can get the championship. I hope they strive for the best. In the 2018 Asian Games in Jakarta, the Chinese player won the championship of the League of Legends. So I'm also looking forward to the upcoming games in Hangzhou. It was also an emotional night for the winners. The player expressed gratitude for being recognized as an esports player. It is not easy to win. The players have undergone long hours of training. But we are proud that esports becomes a medal event in Asian Games. I hope Team China can win. I believe all the efforts will be paid off. 
Seven eSport games will be featured at the upcoming Asian Games. These include the Peace Elite Asian Games version, which marks its first official public release. Ticket purchasing for eSports is unique in the Asian Games, as it requires a lottery system to accommodate the high demand from the public. That was Chen Yilin in Shanghai. And finally, in basketball news, the New York Knicks have sued their Atlantic Division rival Toronto Raptors and a former Knicks employee for allegedly disclosing confidential information to the Raptors. The lawsuit lays out the Knicks' claims against Ikechikuwu Azotam, who worked for the Knicks from 2020 to 2023. He is alleged to have sent the Raptors thousands of confidential files, including play frequency reports, video scouting files, opposition research, and more. The Knicks have also accused members of the Raptors organization of either directing Azotam's actions or benefiting from the unauthorized acquisition and use of the Knicks' confidential information. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a preview of the upcoming Chungchun Film Festival. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Uh, 54 past the hour. And turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. 15 domestic productions will vie for the Golden Deer Awards at the upcoming Changchun Film Festival. Box office winners including Full River Rat, The Wandering Earth 2, Lost in the Stars and No More Bats are shortlisted as the Best Film Award nominations. The 18th Changchun Film Festival opens on Monday. This year's event also includes a Russian film screening for the first time to add international elements. Cultural tourism is taken to a whole new stage in Henan province. Only Henan Drama Fantasy City is a theme park that offers experimental and immersive theatrical experiences. Tourists can, tourists can customize their visit by choosing from a combination of the 56 shows on offer in the city of theater. Shen Li spoke to the director of the shows and the visitors. Only Henan Drama Fantasy City uses a chessboard layout to divide around 42 hectares of land into three large theaters and 18 small theaters. A story of Henan province, known as the Granary of Central China, slowly unfolds. Lush sorghum fields, towering loasis walls, and 56 maze-like grids form a veritable fantasy for drama enthusiasts. As the audience walks along the wheat field towards the 328-meter-long, 15-meter-high, and 2-meter-wide rammed earth wall, they can feel the power of the land. This giant block of soil taken from the bank of the Yellow River is an important totem. It reminds Chinese people of their roots and the land that nourishes them. Entering every grid and every space may give you different feelings. So even if you get lost here, it's also an experience. Only Henan Drama Fantasy City opened in June 2021, putting on 125 performances per day. The packed program guarantees not a minute of boredom. Compared to traditional museums, this theatrical tour can resonate with the audience on a deeper level. The palace rises and falls on the lifting stage, representing the change of dynasties. I hope that the passing years, the ancient cities buried underground can slowly rise up. The civilization of different eras, ancient people and their stories rise from oblivion. Many people recommended this place to me. This trip has proven to be very worthwhile. The architecture and theaters brought many surprises, especially in Lijia village. I was moved by the elderly's self-sacrifice. I think I will revisit here and recommend it to other people. Intangible cultural heritage workshops in the silo caves are also not to be missed. You can make a Chinese New Year woodblock print, try shadow puppetry, and buy mystery boxes with clay figurines and cloth animals. Only Henan Drama Fantasy City is so much more than just a theater. After spending a day here, it feels like you have read a marvelous book on Henan's history, 
Venues like this create valuable experiences for tourists and can spur the development of the culture and tourism industry. That was Shen Li in Henan. And finally, veteran oil painter Daiju's solo exhibition in Chongqing is both payback and a gift to the municipality where he was brought up. The paintings of the 101-year-old professor capture the landscapes and lives of Chongqing and neighboring places like Chengdu. They have now returned to their birthplace to be shown at Dai's exhibition at the Chongqing Art Museum. Titled All Things That Thrive On, the show serves up a nostalgic mood, taking visitors back to the olden days of Chongqing and returning to them to its vibrant life these days. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour now, checking the forecast before we go, and uh, Beijing's down to 20 degrees this evening. Tomorrow we'll see a slight rain with a high of 31. Chongqing is 27, then a slight rain in 35. Last is down to 11, then some rainfall in 23. Hong Kong's at 28 overnight. It'll see showers in 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 26 overnight, a slight rain in 30 on Wednesday. Islamabad will be cloudy in 27 this evening, then some rainfall in 35. Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then a slight rain and 30. 34. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and 27 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening. Uh, tomorrow, a slight rain with a high of 18. Auckland's four overnight, then a slight rainfall and 13 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, South Africa's president and other officials have hosted a welcome party in Pretoria for Chinese President Xi Jinping. And the U.S. president surveyed the fire damage in Hawaii. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.